0: We are, in, we are going to finish Nehemiah today. We're going to finish up uh, our, our, our study that we've been doing uh, for a while here, 10 weeks. I think this is our 10th week um, on the book of Nehemiah. And I'll just go back through a few things and just kind of remind us of, of some of the, the overview of the book of Nehemiah. Uh, chapter 1 began with just a recognition of Nehemiah. Nehemiah received a report as uh, to the condition of the wall that was around Jerusalem. And this broke Nehemiah's heart. He recognized that God's people were left without a, a defensive wall, that they were subject to the encroachment of the enemy and that there was nothing that was holding it back. And, and what we see is that Nehemiah began this journey with prayer, that he didn't run and he didn't just correlate a plan to, to move into this. He, he went and, he, and he, he got on his knees And he got before God, and he asked God and beseeched God uh, about the condition of this. And what we see in chapter 2 is that he received favor, that he got favor from King Artaxerxes and that he was actually sent, not just sent and allowed to go, but given finances and timber and all kinds of things, everything that he needed to go and to uh, begin this work on the wall we see that he went and he inspected the wall. He, he looked at the condition of the wall all the way around it. And then we see that the people began to rally together to rebuild this wall. And as they began to rally to rebuild this wall, we immediately see opposition to what God was doing. We see opposition. You see, the enemy never wants for you to get your defensive walls up where he has no access. The enemy wants to see those walls in our lives laid in ruin, that he might breach that wall and those boundaries any given time that he would like to. So we see the opposition. In particular, it shows up with three different guys. Um, It shows up with a guy named Sanballat, uh, Tobiah, and Geshem. And so we see the opposition to the things of God right off the bat. Chapter 3, we see that each person did their part that each person joined in and they did their part to rebuild this wall so that the people of jerusalem could live in security they each did their part. Every single stone mattered. Anybody who laid a stone, it made a difference. It, it was a part of rebuilding the wall. And we were reminded and, re, and we thought about this, how, how like sometimes the things that God is calling us to do might seem small or insignificant or not that big, but every stone that was laid was was progressing this project further and further. It was a ragtag team. It, was, it wasn't a, a, a team of professional masons that God had put there. It was different smiths, silversmiths, goldsmiths, perfumers, priests, uh, a, a guy and his daughters. It was just this ragtag team of people. But remember that God doesn't always call the qualified, but he always qualifies those whom he calls and it's be ultimately, it's God's at work in this thing. Chapter 4, we see that the opposition, because now it's actually happening and the wall is actually beginning to go up and the opposition begins to go up as well. We see the threats, physical threats by the enemy, but not only just physical threats from the enemy, but also a taunt against the work that they were doing, telling them, oh, that, that work that you're doing, it's completely insignificant. It does, if a fox even jumps up on that wall, it's just going to fall down. Really, what you're doing has no value. It has no worth. And this is the voice of the enemy, and we need to learn to recognize it as God's people that when we begin to do the things that God is calling us into, the, the, the enemy is going to show up. And what do you, who do you think you are? And what do you think you're doing? And that's going to make absolutely no difference. Or what you're doing is, you know, who do you think you are? It's always this attack the threats, the taunts. But you see, the people, they had a mind to build and they kept their, their focus on what was in front of them. They were guarding one another as they were building. They'd have one building and one sitting in guard. And we have to remember too that in this whole battle that we're in, that it's important to be in prayer for our brothers and sisters, that as they're building or they're working, we need to also be in prayer and we need to have those, those prayer warriors are absolutely key in the midst of this. It says that the builders had a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other hand. And we remember and we talked about the importance as God's church that that we can't ever drop one or the other. You see, if we drop the trowel, then we cease to build. And Jesus is building his church. We must be builders. We have to constantly be reminded that we are to be not just stagnant, not just sitting, not a holy huddle that gathers in here, but that we are to be building. But we can't just build. If we just become builders, we'll probably fall prey to, the just kind of to a lot of just social justice and things like that. We will forget about the truth. The sword that we hold is the sword of the Spirit, the truth of God's Word. And we always have to hold that as a standard as we build. We want to be loving and we want to be compassionate, yes. But we want to always remember that God has set standards for us and that standards are a good thing. Ethics are a good thing to be remembered of the way that things ought to be, so that whenever we get off track a little bit, we have something to bring us back in it 's both the trowel and the sword that keeps god 's church on a straight path. Chapter five we saw that those were that the people who were building the wall, they had left their fields. They'd left their means of making a living. And naturally, as people are, there were those who then saw opportunity for financial gain. And they began to make loans or loan money to them at at outrageous interest rates. And the people that were building the wall and doing the work were finding themselves losing their land and losing their children and stuff to, to have to pay different debts and having to put people into servitude to pay these debts off. And Nehemiah just came in and said, look, this is, this is wrong. This is unjust. We, we can't operate like this. And it was interesting because we saw that those people actually repented and they recanted on those, those, uh, those, those loans and, and they, they forgave all of those loans. And and we saw Nehemiah lead by example that even though he had a right to a governance, he was the governor there, and he had a right to uh, the governance portion. Uh, he didn't take that because he wanted to lead by example. Even though he had 150 people that says that were eating at his table, he chose not to, to just take all that he could get, all the whole way. And he led by example in saying, look, we need to sacrificially become a part of building this wall. We need to all do our part in this. We see then in chapter 6 that the, the, the wall basically is, is going up and, it, and it's, it's almost near to completion. Now, it's really interesting because now what the enemy does is he calls Nehemiah and those guys out. He, he, he can't now breach the wall and get into them quite so easy. So what does he do? He tries to call them to outside of the walls, to calls them to outside of the protection of these walls and says, why don't you come and meet me out here? Sanballat and, and uh, Tobiah, why don't you come out here and let's meet? And, and Nehemiah knew and understood they're, they're only going to try to kill me out there. I'm not going out there. And so he just said, look, I don't have time for that, right? I'm here. I got stuff going. I don't have time to go out there and meet with you. I'm doing a work right here. And we're reminded that the enemy is going to try to pull us outside of the work that God has for you. He's going to try to pull you outside of that. He's going to try to distract you with different things. He's going to try to pull you into different arguments or different things that that of of uh, division or whatever that looks like. He's always going to try to pull us outside of the work. and the and the the main thing here is just to continue to press into the work that God has laid before us. Chapter seven, we see. That the wall basically is complete. It's taken everyone to get that, and we see the lists of the faithful there. Um, we were talking the other day, and Phil was just mentioning about that those lists you know, sometimes we wonder, well, why are those lists in the Bible like that? Why do they do that? Why do they list all these people? It's just, you know, we don't want to really you know, we don't want to listen to try and read those names, right? And so, well, except Sharon. Sharon does, so we're going to, anyway. Um, why do they do that? It's because it's a historical document. Is why. It's because the Bible is real history. That this is real history written down. This isn't just stories. This isn't just you know just uh, ideals or just parables or, or the, it's it's history. And so they recorded. And we also remember that men may forget, but God does not forget. God uh, is the one who is Im- who, uh, responsible in those lists. And we see that the list of the faithful are are, are put into place, and we see that the enemy is basically silent from here on until we'll we'll talk about it, but, but there's a silence now from the enemy. Why? Because the defensive walls are up. We talked about this. This is so important. You know, it, the, the standards that God has set for us, the, the standards and the things that God has given us through his, his Word are not to just encumber us, they're not to frustrate us. They're there for our freedom so that we might live in freedom because freedom isn't doing what we want to do or what we feel. We ought to do. It's doing the thing that keeps us from bondage, and we are no good at keeping ourselves out of bondage. But God knows a whole lot about it, and so He set these defensive walls out for us. And when we live by those and we stay behind those things, we can actually begin to rebuild some things in our lives. And, and the enemy doesn't have access to tear us down. But you see, if we start to let those walls crumble, He's always going to breach it, He's always going to tear these walls down, He's always going to want access into that place in our lives, but it's, it's by following God and the things that he's put before us that we stay safe behind those walls. Chapter 8, we see that Ezra goes in and he re- reads the law to the people. And the people be, are kind of cut to the quick by what God's word has to say. And they recognize, like, we have not been doing this. We haven't been following this. We, we've actually been doing quite the opposite of this. And we see what, what, what we would call, right, repentance, and remember again, repentance is one of those Christianese words that we generally goes along with screaming at people and spitting and yelling and slapping Bibles and yelling sinner and stuff like that. But repentance means simply to turn. It means we were going this direction and we we're going to repent, it means we're going to turn around and we're going to go back that other direction. And so we see that the people of God, the people of Israel make a decision to repent or to turn around and to go back to the things of God, that they are going to make a commitment again to begin to follow God and follow close after the things of God. Chapter ten, we see the conditions of those covenants, and, and and it talks about the things that they would not do any longer. That they they weren't going to take foreign wives, and they weren't going to sell and 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 buy and sell on on Sabbath, and those kinds of things. That they were going to keep those things holy and they were going to listen to the things of God. And then they began to talk too about how they were going to be faithful and they were going to dedicate themselves to the house of God, to the things of God that they were going to both serve and that they were going to give in that. And they began to recognize that those walls had went down, not because the enemy had come and overrun them, not because they faced an enemy that was greater than God, not because some army had built up more than them, but because they had failed to listen to God They they themselves, and they had failed to care for the house of God, they themselves had given access to the enemy into their community. And I would just hold that this is a very important lesson for the church, that that the church, as we stand as a a light in the midst of our community, that we are meant to make a difference here, that what we're doing is important, and it does make a difference. It's it's the church that that stands sometimes in... uh, uh, It's the church that is meant to continually be reminding the world around us the things that God has said and the direction that he's called us to go. And when the church fails to do that and the church just begins to assimilate and looks no different than the community, then the community out there begins to wonder, why would I want to be a part of what you're doing? Because it doesn't seem to really be working for you. You see, but the more that we develop a real fellowship and a real community together, it becomes very attractive to a world out there that's incredibly lonely and lost right now. And the more that we're able to, to, to link arms and to follow and be committed to, to both serve and to give and, to, and to, to see the church flourish and the people within the church flourish, the more that the community is going to flourish. You see, what happens, and we see this in the book of... of uh, Oh, one of those books um, in the Bible, I, I promise. We, we do see it. Um, it just left my head and it's not coming back, I can tell you. It'll come back about two in the morning or something probably. But, but anyway, I'm not even going to try, but I'll promise you it's in the Bible. But, but it's this idea that, that like if, if, if we are neglecting God's home, we're actually neglecting our home. Like our home can't stand if we neglect God's home. Yeah, we might live in a certain way. We might enjoy some certain things or whatever, but our community and the communities that we live in in our very home, there's a necessity for us to to be um, uh, guarding God's home and seeing God's home flourish so that our homes might flourish as well. See, because left to ourselves, we're just going to get lost. We're just going to get distracted in all of the things that the world has for us. All of the the shiny objects and things like that are going to distract us and pull us away, and we're going to become a people who are more and more self-absorbed, more and more selfish, more and more just going our own way. You see, it's God, and it's the church. See, God comes, and throughout the week, he steps on my toes, and then I come here, and I step on your toes, and then hopefully we're all the better for it because God has reminded us what this is all about. So chapter 10, or chapter 9, uh, they, they, they read the law, there was repentance, and then they experienced the Feast of Booths, which was a reminder to the people of Israel uh, that God had been with them, that when they were wandering in the wilderness, when, when after he had, he had just uh, rescued them out of slavery, and now they were wandering in the wilderness, that he was there, and that he was faithful, and that he led them 24-7 all the time, because God does not need rest in uh, direct for uh contradiction to us, who do need rest, God led them 24-7 in the day and in the night, and he never has left them. He has never forsaken them. And what a great thing to think about that you and I, too, that when we feel like we're absolutely left and we're in the wilderness and that we're all alone and that we don't have anything, that God has not forsaken you. He has not forgotten about you. He knows you. He knows your name. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows the number of days that you and I have, and He has never forsaken us. He has never left us. Chapter 9 ends up being the longest prayer that we see here, Um, and and that prayer is focusing on God and a commitment to follow God. Uh, At the end of chapter 9, whenever they were going to when the people were repenting, they began to be very sorrowful and stuff, and the priest reminded them, they said, look, this is a time for celebration. You're, you're repenting. We're getting back, and now it's a time to celebrate, and the prayer focuses on God and the attributes of God it does not focus on the shortcomings of the people and the things that they had or had not done there was a standard of that there's a recognition of that but there's not a focus of that i want to encourage you here today that if you're struggling in some area that the focus isn't on the things that you're doing wrong the focus needs to be on god and a god who is able to meet you in the midst of those places who's able to bring change who is able through his grace to empower you and i to live a different life because you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you are able to uh, walk in a different manner. Even though it seems maybe absolutely impossible right now, I want to encourage you that God is able to do these things. When we focus on Him and not just our problems, and then we begin to make a commitment, an absolute commitment, to begin to follow Him. Not to be a perfect people, but committed to follow. Not recognizing that, it it has to be recognizing that you and I, in and of ourselves, with our own self-will, it's always going to fall short. We are never going to be sufficient within ourselves to bring change in our lives. Chapter 11, um, chapter 10 laid out the conditions of the covenant that the people were going to follow, their promise to God of, of what they were going to do. And they made a promise to, we will not neglect the house of God. Chapter 11, we see that they were casting lots about who would go and who would live in Jerusalem because there needed to be people there to uh, fulfill the, the ministry and the things that were going on there. And there was a list of those that were living there in Jerusalem. And now we enter into chapter 12. So, here we go. Chapter 12, Nehemiah. Chapter 12 begins with a long list of all of the Levites and and the priests that were involved in all of this, and I'm not going to read the list, uh, Sharon. Um, I'm going to let you guys read it. Um, Verse 27, though, and says, And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness. With thanksgivings and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres, and, and the the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem and from the villings, from the villages of the Netophathites, also from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and Asmaveth. For the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem, and the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. And so basically, what's happening now is that the wall is complete, and and, and the people have made a covenant, and they've turned towards God, and they've made a commitment to follow God, and now there's this massive celebration that's going on. They're celebrating this, and they're super excited, and this whole thing is ending, and it's kind of like this whole crescendo, it happens in worship. Right, And they begin to worship and to sing praise and worship and good glory and honor to this good God who who has given them favor and who has been with them and walked with them and, and, and helped them to get this wall complete. And it's amazing, there's, there's two different sets, and one's going one way on top of the wall, and the other is going the other way on top of the wall, and they're just singing, and they're just worshiping, and, the, and it says that their joy was heard far away. And, and so it's just this massive party, and everybody shows up, because everybody always shows up to the party, and it was amazing, and it was great, and if Nehemiah ended there, it would just be something Really amazing, I guess, or maybe it wouldn't actually, because maybe we would just then say, "Well, all we've got to do is follow some rules." If we just commit ourselves and we begin to just be rule followers, and we just, you know, we just, we just say, "Look, we're really committed to this, and we're just really going to follow a bunch of rules." Then, then uh, maybe it wouldn't be so great if it ended there. Well, guess what? It doesn't end there, and I'm going to let you to work through anything there, but, but basically. What happens there is that it's been restored the, the 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 temple worship and and the the services and the order of the temple has has been restored and and, and there's this amazing uh commitment for the people and a covenant that's been signed that they're going to follow God and that they're going to go back to the ways that they had before and 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 then chapter thirteen starts and and uh and they read from the book of the law, and, 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 and some time seems to have, have went by at this point. And Nehemiah has left Jerusalem for a time, and, and now he's, he's coming back, and he's, he's coming back to see kind of what's going on here. Um, chapter 13 uh, On that day, they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, and it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God, for they did not meet the people of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. Yet our God turned the curse into a blessing. As soon as the people heard the law, they separated from Israel all those of foreign descent. Now before this, Eliashib, the priest, Who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, and who was related to Tobiah, prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels, and the tithes of grain, wine and oil, which were given by commandment to the Levites, the singers, and the gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priests. While this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king. And after some time, I asked leave of the king and came to Jerusalem. And I then discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. Wow, are you kidding me? Crazy. Now, they, they had it all figured out. They, they had the enemy was out there, and they had the walls up. And now the walls are still up, but guess what they did? They gave access to the enemy back into the inside here. Not only did that, but they, they gave access to the enemy inside of the temple itself. And they cleared out the things that were supposed to be in this room of the temple. And they, and they, they gave it over to Tobiah. And before that, they had read the, 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 the law a little bit and decided that they needed to kick out a bunch of people of foreign descent. And the church can be really good at that sometimes um, while not following the rest of what God has called us to. Um, goes on to say that Nehemiah goes and he figures out that they, they hadn't been giving the portion to the Levites. They haven't been doing these different things. They've been taking foreign wives. They, they're basically doing all of the things that they said that they wouldn't do. And so Nehemiah goes wild. He goes wild next. He starts beating people up, pulling their hair. Literally, read it. It's in there. I mean, I, I, don't, know. I don't know if... I don't know if I can use it for justification at times, but maybe we can. Maybe we can. I don't know. No. He says he's going to, the people are outside of the gates to sell things and stuff. And he's like, I'm about to come out there and lay hands on you, you know, which, you know, we're we're supposed to only do that in prayer, so we can't do that. But he says, look, yeah, yeah, verse 25, I, I confronted them, I cursed them, I beat some of them, and I pulled out their hair. And I made them take an oath in the name of God, saying, you shall not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons or for yourself. And, and, and it just goes on. And, and, and what we see is that then, basically, it's like Nehemiah by force now forces everybody to get back in line and, and start to do the things that they did before. And he says that at the end here, verse 30, thus I cleansed them from everything foreign and I established the duties of the priests and the Levites each in his work, and I provided for the wood offering at appointed times and for the first fruits. Remember me, O God, for my good. And that's it. And it ends right there. It's a really strange ending, really. It's like Nehemiah just kind of says, well, it was all a mess again. I, I, I threw it all back together, and I did the best I can. Remember me. I did the best I could. What an interesting way to end that. And I wonder sometimes, do we ever really get it right? When we look at the Bible and we, we look at this and and sometimes, what well, you know, we use this for a lot of judgmental kind of stuff and whatnot, but, but do we ever see anybody in here really other than Jesus get it right? And I think that's the whole point. We see the people of Israel in the wilderness as they wander around and grumble and God has again just, just, just given them a way through the Red Seas, parted the oceans for them, and they walked on dry ground through. And it's no time that they just start making golden calves for themselves and doing their own thing and being disobedient. And they, they, they even want to go back. They want to go back to what they have, they want to go back to their bondage. We see Abraham, Abraham, who is called and God's guy to. To, to begin this whole thing. And God reveals him to himself, this, this guy of Abraham. But Abraham, you know, he, God told him, leave your family behind. But he didn't. He took lot with him and ended up costing him a lot of consequences and different things. And because of his own fear and his own lack of trust, he, he, he asked his wife to, to, uh, to say that she was his sister. And uh, the Egyptians just took her off and took her into the harem of Pharaoh. And then they started giving him donkeys and goats and sheep, and he's prospering. And he's doing absolutely nothing about it. Finally, God has to end it. And then guess what? He does it again. Abraham, this guy who's called a father of faith. Jacob, the usurper, right? Who wrestles with God, who 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 steals the blessing. From his father he becomes the, the the very first one the the one who becomes Israel, the one who the, the nation of Israel he, he begins that whole thing. we see Peter who who denies Jesus three times we see Peter and Paul and we see those guys and we see their 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 uh, their struggles. We see that one time Paul has to get after Peter because peter's been Act in one way around the Gentiles, all friendly and stuff like that. But when all the Jewish guys come, he, he gets kind of stuck up and won't talk to them anymore. We see the church in Corinth. That's a huge mess. We, we see the letter to the Galatians in which they've followed another gospel. Generally, the Bible just shows us time and time again this stuff. And Again, this, this whole idea that, that, that nations, this is really about nations that... that Nations move from bondage and servitude into humility and then into spiritual faith and courage and ultimately freedom and independence. But, but after that, it, it, starts to, it leads then to abundance and prosperity, which leads to pride and selfishness, which leads to apathy and complacence, which leads back to bondage and servitude. Sometimes I wonder where our nation is at on that scale right now. We see the people of Israel, they were in this, that they, they uh, Israel is enslaved, Israel cries out to the Lord, God raises up judges, Israel was delivered, Israel serves the Lord, Israel falls into sin and idolatry. We see this cycle here in the book of Nehemiah where, where it just kind of came back full circle and the people, even though they had said they would do these different things. You see, rules are never going to change us, and neither is religion. It's insufficient to, to really change us. I don't know if you can relate to this, but, but, but Romans 7, Paul is, is talking about sin in his life and, 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 and the reality of it. Romans 7, verse, starting in verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm of the flesh that dwells in my members. <clears throat> and Paul is just saying, he's reminding us here today that like, like, like I don't understand me sometimes. I don't get it. I, 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 I'm like, okay, I'm not gonna do that. Anybody here ever say, look, I'm not doing X again? I'm done with that, I'm over with it. Never doing that again, right? I don't know about you, but I don't even make it till Friday on those kinds of statements usually. The self-will is not enough following rules, being religious, showing up to church, reading your Bible. Good things. I'm all about it. But if that's the extent of it, it's not going to have the power to produce the change in your life that the gospel is here to change in your life and my life. Paul finishes this by saying this, "Wretched, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. You know, Paul is just telling us, he's reminding us here, you know, it's like it's one or the other. You know, when it's, when it's kind of nice, I ride my bike to church a lot. And, and when I'm coming up Thurman Hill, you're either pedaling or you're going backwards. Those are your options. Keep pedaling or go backwards. This walk is that same thing. We're either pedaling and we're either moving forward with the Lord or we're going backwards. We're never just hanging out. You don't just, if you quit pedaling, you, you don't just stop there, right? You, you got to keep pedaling. But again, it's not our will. It's not our ability that we're talking about. It really needs to become what God is calling us to is a higher vision of what it is to be a human being, a higher vision of what this world is and who you are and who the people that we're trying to relate to in the world, who they are as well. See, we've got to understand who you are and who you were made to be. You've got to have the right identity. You've got to know that you're created in the very image of God and the very people that frustrate you in the world out there and frustrate us and we struggle with you got to know too that they're created in the very image of God and that each thing that people and human beings are are out there and we're seeking and when we're seeking things that are unhealthy and not working for us it's really because we're drawn we're we're buying into too low a vision of what this is so things like marriage and family and sex and and things that God has created to, to be good in our lives, we, we buy into too low of a vision of those things. And so the picture isn't this idea that, that we would just begin to follow more rules. The, the, really, the picture is, is that we would begin to understand through the Spirit and through the life of Jesus that is now living out in us what it really looks like to be human, that it looks like being much more selfless than what we tend to be it looks like it looks like serving others it, it, it looks like it looks like loving more it looks like being patient with those who get on our uh, uh, who frustrate us it, it, it looks like extending grace and kindness and compassion and goodness it looks like having a higher vision a vision that God has for who he created us to be. You see, he created us for perfect relationship with himself. And he, he gave us the earth as, as like a blank slate so that we could go out and we could multiply and we could see the world flourish and the people who are living in the world flourish. And sometimes we just got to remember that that folks that are doing things that that... that aren't really in, in line with the values that maybe you have, you have to, we have to just understand that they're created in God's image and that they've bought into too low of a vision of what this world is. And then we've got to acknowledge that we've probably bought into too low of a vision for what this world is, of who we are and who you are in Christ. You're seated at the right hand of power right now. That The Holy Spirit indwells you if you're in Christ, and if you're not in Christ, that to understand that the God of the universe came and, and he, he burst through into time, space, and history so that He could live a perfect life that could be substituted for yours so that your sin could be forgiven, so that you could be forgiven and indwelt by this Spirit so that we could even begin to understand what this higher vision really looks like. Because before, before, we're, before we have the Spirit of God, we, we can't even get it. We can't understand it. There, there's nothing but a low vision of the world prior to the Holy Spirit. So my encouragement is, is that we would, through this and through understanding more of the life of Jesus, we would really begin to look at his example because, see, what he's laying out for us is what it looks like to be truly human. What does it look like to really walk and to be His hands and feet. He hasn't left us apart from instruction or guidance or help. We have the teacher. We have the counselor. These are all attributes of the Holy Spirit. He's the teacher. He's a guide. He's a counselor. And He stands ready to heal us, to restore us, and to set each one of us here into the ministry that He has uniquely for us. And that isn't necessarily just waiting for the big aha moment where here it is, this big major ministry that falls in your middle. It's in the little things. It's in the everyday. It's when we leave here. It's when we go to work. It's when we go to Walmart. It's when we go to school. Remembering that you're created in the image of God and that there's a higher calling than what we tend to live for. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you that you haven't left us with a low calling. You've given us a high identity, you've given us a high value, a high worth, and you've called us, Lord, to, to, to remember that all of those around are image bearers of who you are. Lord, give us a higher vision for all of these things, Lord. Give us a higher vision and help us to understand that, that the things of this world, that they're, they're meaningful. They're, they're not just random the, the things that you've set before us are are meaningful and they're an expression of who you are. And so it changes the way that we understand things like marriage and family and sex and things and possessions and power and just this material world. Lord, help us to, to be in line with, with something greater than what we could ever come up with. And help us, Lord, that we would never try to To venture off into this with just our self will, but help us to just be reliant on you and on your spirit. Help us to to recognize, though, that it's not about us, it's not about our inabilities to live up to this, it's about focusing on you and about who you are. It's about not living in our failures, but it's about living in what you've done for us in the cross. Help us, Lord, that we might live out something that looks uh, a little more attractive. Help us to to be your church. Help us to carve out some margin in our lives for your spirit to work. Help us to rest for the work that you have for us. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.